Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday. We have an incredibly cool guest coming up. We had Jason Camis. It's one of the guests I've always wanted. This is the other guest I've always wanted, Sam yeah. Smith, coming up in yeah, just a minute. Sure. But first, we have been driving the Infinity QX80 of late. We drove one last year. A we produced a one. video review on the one last yes, year. Yes, we did. And we yes. drove it as part of our uh, Fun Cars piece. We took a road trip. We drove the um, Veloster N and the GT86 together. And we had that as our support vehicle. So it's actually in that TV episode as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. we had <clears throat> um, mixed things to say about the QX80. You're being delicate. Uh, you had uh, some tough love for Infinity as a brand. And Which I think is coming based on things that I see in yeah, the news. I think that's fair. I, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah it, it was pretty easy to extrapolate that. Yeah. True. To be honest, true, true. Yeah. So uh, all of that, but but the, so this car's come back around in the press fleet. It's the updated version, and it's not that updated. But I did notice a couple things. Okay, this one is dark blue mm-hmm. with a two tone with light seat uh, tan interior, and I actually feel like all of that combination makes it feel a lot more worth its price point. Something about the white one with black interior was kind of like wham wham. This one <laughs> yeah. with this setup kind of feels worth its price point. But the funniest thing about it, and it still has a really good engine. And a gearbox that's much more responsive than it should be in a package that looks like a narwhal and doesn't drive that well. Uh, th- th- these things are still true. However, one of the things I'm laughing about, I, I, I don't think I'm imagining this. And it's happened a few times to us. And I don't think it's just us. But it makes me laugh when you and I rant on something. Uh-huh. And in a uh-huh. future version, it's fixed. <laughs> that's happened in his QX80. <laughs> and it was the most random thing. Continue. There, I a, know, I know. I'm laughing. There's, at there's this. a knob on the center console, the farthest back knob on the center console. That is the what mode are you in? Are you in auto? Are you in four high? What are you in? Right. It's right there by the, the armrest, and it's about the size of a hockey puck. Yep. And in the last one we had, it was genuinely, even though it was silver in color, it was genuinely the flimsiest plastic I've encountered for a knob in a car. <laughs> you could like. Please don't squeeze that knob at all. Like, grab it delicately because it felt like, you know what the plastic felt like? It felt like water bottle plastic. That really flexible plastic. Not like reusable water bottle plastic. No, no, I mean, like, you buy at the grocery store. Exactly. The super thin, like, when you buy the off brand water bottle, too, like the super thin water bottle plastic. (laughs) The store brand. Yes, that you think it might, don't squeeze the bottle too hard, you're going to make it just (laughs) collapse. It felt like that, chromed. And I couldn't believe that in this thing that was, you know, upwards of 80 grand was anything that felt like that. In this new one, it is a rock solid knob. It's a completely <laughs> I different love that was the first knob. thing you went looking for to see if they changed it. Well, but I but I was just trying out everything in the car and I thought, yeah, there's this terrible knob hit. Wait. The knob's better. So who knew that that was going to get fixed? I wonder if anybody else complained, but I am, and I'm not making this up. I couldn't believe how bad the last one was, and I got in and was like, that's been refined. Why did you refine that? But I'm, I'm thrilled. It's like Honda putting a volume knob. It's the same kind of thing. Things that we rant about when they actually get changed, I'll be honest, I don't think it's us. It's hard to imagine I'm just, that. I'm really just glad is. that enough people said something that somebody in the production line went, we got to fix this. 
I'm glad they did. I, I'm going to continue to offer tough love for Infinity and continue to encourage them to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. And Infinity sold more than 23,000 QX80 in 2019. In okay. North America, they sold 20,000 narwhals. Yeah. Which is inexplicable to me. Mm-hmm. Based on the variety and options you have on the market. Now, I do agree with you. The power is intoxicating. It just moves. It moves like it shouldn't. Agreed. But then it's got huge wheels and tires, 22s, mm-hmm. that make it ride odd. It's, yeah. it's an odd ride yeah. because it's <laughs> yeah. the ride is very smooth and comfortable on a smooth freeway. Mm-hmm. But then... Because the wheels and tires, you f- you start to feel things that you think you shouldn't. Well, it feels every bit as heavy as it is, and it feels top heavy. And it yeah, any, in corners, in the slightest of in, corners. In corners, at speed, it's a little bit like, oh, this is quite big. I really ought to slow down a lot. That's how it feels. Yeah. Infinity has made a name for themselves in terms of style, uh-huh. and they can continue yep. to push that. But as far as the product offerings, I still think there's better choices, mm. and I encourage Infinity to continue pushing and. Do your own thing. Rely on tech in the future. And whatever you're, you guys are doing, please bring it. We welcome that because I love where Infinity could go, and that's what attracts me to the brand. But it's a where I think you should go kind of thing. So watch our video if you're interested and you have an Infinity QX80 and you're interested. That's uh, You're now seeding at us, but then a, a that happens. I understand. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. It has finally happened. Of course, you probably watched this past weekend. It's been all over the automotive news media. We've been asking, where is the Toyota version of the updated 86? The the Subaru BRZ feels like it's been out for a year now, even though nobody's actually driven one. The 86 is finally here, though. Yeah, I'm really intrigued with this. If horsepower is any indication, I think I'm really going to like it. Because I really mm-hmm. like the 26 extra horsepower on the RF, the upgraded engine on the RF. Sure. And it wasn't yeah, turbocharged. Yeah. I really like it. If tires are any indication of how mm. a car maker thinks about its car, okay. I have this weird thought. Even though I love the Supra and its Cayman-like wheelbase and its rotation, I love that. But if they don't bring a manual, then shouldn't the new GR86 be wearing the Pilot Super Sports and the GR Supra be wearing the Pilot Sport 4s as the more... GT kind of car. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm, sure. I'm, I would love both cars to have both tires, but the BRZ is shown, and I believe the GR86 is shown in the photos, wearing Michelin Pilot Sport 4s. Great. What okay. an upgrade yeah. from the last generation. But Fantastic. the Big Brother yeah. Supra is over here wearing Pilot Super Sports. So, okay, we know it's going to handle great. It's well-equipped. What's going to happen when both cars are wearing the same tires with the new gr It's almost like you and I need to revisit the very first time in 2013 when we drove the twins, when they first were introduced, we drove them back to back on a track. And now Subaru and Toyota are claiming even wider gulf between the handling characteristics of both cars. Yeah, I'm wondering. More horsepower. And there's a few tweaks, but they still seem very close. I think think the thing is, this this was a, if you didn't see it already, this was a Japanese reveal which made it awfully hard for the rest of us to follow. But it was the actual 
a reveal for, hey, we really are doing this, which is wonderful. They gave uh, horsepower and everything for for the Japanese market. So I I suspect that when it shows up in the U.S., they're going to be pretty much on top of each other for power. Again, you're saying four horsepower is what even the the Delta is right now, which is kind of non-existent. The The Japanese spec, medium spec, will have the same 232 horsepower. So great. So so we're we're looking, but here's the thing. Either way, what we're talking about is an upgrade from the last one is roughly 25 horsepower and roughly 30 pound-feet of torque, which is exactly what this chassis needed at 2,800 pounds. So that is very exciting. The fact that they are selling it on performance tires from the factory, again, to your point, absolutely suggest this is going to be the car we hope for. The, the thing I I don't know if I buy yet, and, and uh, I hate to say this because <laughs> Toyota, Toyota really likes us, and we really like a lot of Toyota products. I feel like Toyota is in a renaissance right now, and I'm very yes. excited about that. Yes, Toyota seems to be having a pattern right now, though, uh, more extreme than some other manufacturers, of giving you their version of events. And then when things shake mean? out... It's not quite how they said. Well, for example, all of Toyota's commentary about, I'll give you two examples, specifically from the Supra, that the Supra had a lower center of gravity than the 86. And we all kind of went, how is that possible? Yeah, yeah. And it ultimately wasn't. And the other one is, well, this Supra is very different than the Z4, and, and we did all these things to make it incredibly different than the BMW product. And it really isn't. It's not that different. I, that's just by virtue so, of the architecture. It's hard totally, to make totally agree. two completely uh, different cars wrong. using the same I'm, parts. I'm not saying that either one of those things are the least bit of a death blow in that discussion. But my point is that Toyota seems to be overselling a few things right now in a lot of their marketing, which is the reality of marketing. So here we have in this GR86, again, it's Gazoo Racing now, 86, just like it's the GR Super, which is, which is awesome because we know the Super yes. is great. We know that the, uh, the Yaris, even though we don't get it, is great. I'm very excited about this car, incredibly excited. I want to dig in a little further. But Toyota saying this is going to be quite different and we work to make it different than the, the BRZ. Uh, we'll see is my thought on that. I, <laughs> sure. I, having them back-to-back is the only way to tell. I will be very surprised if they're very different. I will say this. When the first gen came out, we did drive them back-to-back. And I agree with you, Paul. I want to have them back-to-back again. I'm very excited about this. But the first gen, in the first year, the FRS was one of the most neutral setup cars being sold. Mm-hmm. No real understeer or oversteer. It was just ready to rotate, incredibly neutral, and relying on the driver to be decent. Yes. And here was the BRZ that was tuned, let's be honest, like the rest of Subaru's lineup, which is understeer first for safety. And over the first generation's lineup, the two merged. They became more similar to each other. So by the time the, the last year or so when they've been selling them, they've been almost identical in actual handing characteristics and anything that was different pretty much got thrown out and they are just the same so now toyota is saying we've separated them further and i'm going we'll see but everything we've seen is exciting yes well i hate to point this out but making them the same makes them easier to build you don't have to actually put more effort into differentiating the two just make the people actually building the cars they like that Mm-hmm. That's okay. I'm still intrigued that they are continuing. This is version 2.0, yep, although it's got yep. the 2.4 liter engine, but that notwithstanding. <laughs> no, but it's the second gen. It's so your 2.0 is right. You said from the beginning, you said you <laughs> yes. felt like this 86 chassis was version 1.0 and you're yes. excited for further versions. Here is version 2.0, and we are very excited. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's stiffer body, apparently, better torsional rigidity, which makes the last one sound like it was made out of used tea bags and linguine, apparently. And it was great. 50% stiffer. Yeah, that's How- crazy. It's crazy. What? Yeah. <laughs> Were you guys asleep? Handled great, but. 
50% better? uh, Everything the numbers indicate is exciting. The horsepower Mm -hmm. over a second quicker than the prior generation. And the styling, I like this one better. This is the one I really do like. You like it better than the BRZ? Because I do too. I'm just kind of curious. Well, I like it breakdown. better than yeah. last generation. I like both better Oh, do than you? Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, By all right. Far. The headlights and taillights are blander. They're more generic. But the uh-huh. styling of the car overall, take that front fender example. It's channeling Ferrari 360 Modena with a flat uh, lip face that actually okay. extends right. into the sheet metal of the door. I'm going, hmm. all that's, right. that's nice. That's pretty. I like the character of the brz a little bit better i I think there's just more visual interest going on than the toyota but again we've just seen photos Mm -hmm. lighting colors all that kind of stuff comes into play and uh i i'm intrigued but 18 inch tires i mean this gr86 is now sort of teasing any future better more performance versions to come this is 2.0 but this is the the base of the 2.0 of the next it's it's year one of the second yeah. gen you're right i mean over the next four or five years you know they're going to refine it further i've actually got a photo pulled up here of the two side by side the gr86 and the the brand new super brz by the way they're also saying that the brz is going to be in dealers as late as the end of 2021 and they might at least in japan they're going to have the gr86 out by then i don't know if they're going to have the if toyota is going to turn around the gr86 in the u.s before the year's out i suspect it's actually going to be a 2022 product mm-hmm. uh, but but either way, I've got them both in front of me here. The only real difference in the styling is the front clip, which we've discussed before, is by far the easiest thing to change. Mm-hmm. And of the two, the Subaru's kind of got a little bit of a smile going, and its, it's uh, brake duct area is, a, is like a Q teardrop shape. Mm-hmm. On the on the eighty six to a point you've been making a lot, Paul. Super, I mean, pardon me. Toyota is obsessed right now with these angles that turn ninety degrees and drop toward the floor. Yes, and that's what they've done on the front with their uh, with their brake ducts. And I actually prefer the front end of the eighty six just a little bit over the BRZ. Do you? That fair enough. And and I actually think it's fine to offer two versions because if you want sure, the car and you sure. don't like one, but they're still gaining sales. You're not walking away as mm-hmm. a buyer. So. Uh, wonderful. I embrace that, even though I wish the Subaru had the same power. I don't really understand limiting it by four horsepower. I, I think when no it's sense. in the U.S. And, and all of that stuff, I think they'll be right on top of each other. I really do, but we'll see. For we'll sure, see. for sure. Well, nevertheless, whatever happens, we're very excited. And I think not only do you and I need to revisit the 2013 matchup, mm-hmm. but the Step Brothers episode, because... Agreed. Yes. Apparently is tuned to handle even better than the last generation. The CG is lower. It has an aluminum Uh roof, aluminum fenders. Yeah. Better in every way, every way. And so that against the Supra, that sounds exciting. Those two pieces, we can do a 2.0 sort of the, Hey, here's where we are. But it's created so much content for us because you're right. We need to do the two against each other. We need to do the new one against the old one, which we do on everything that is like this. We need to do it against the super. I mean, this needs to kind of run through the gamut of the greatest hits and see how it holds up. I'm incredibly excited about this car. I, I, I look, I don't want to overstate because money is a real thing and life goes on and budgets will have to happen. But 
this car gets me excited enough that if it's as good as I think, I may have to do a money where my mouth is thing and, and do that thing we tell all of you. And that is if you can afford a sports car new, buy it new to tell manufacturers, thank you for doing this. This is one of those cars that is just kind of pinging that in me and making me intrigued. Yeah. I hope it's as good as I'm as, as I am excited about it because yeah, this, this is right down the center lane of what you and I do. And I'm thrilled. Yeah. Well, if you do that just by virtue of the Supra having Cayman characteristics, does that force me to buy the Supra? And then that's our new challenge for another year. Is that what you're saying? Oh man. Now we're, now we're spending all kinds of money. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I, I didn't buy the first gen 86 new and, and did love having one. And I'm also, look, I'll even go further. The reality is that this kind of car is the kind of thing I'd want my car, my son to be driving as his first car. So I'm just kind of thinking <laughs> along the lines. But I'll say this. The other thing I'm really thrilled by, and I, I'm going to thank Toyota straight up front for this, and I'm thrilled. Toyota and Subaru is awesome that they made a bigger engine in this car. They made a second gen with more things like torsional rigidity and these kind of things. And when I start reading that list, my brain goes, uh-oh, because it's going to be heavier. Right. And apparently right. it's not. I am I am thrilled that they actually seem to have embraced the things that you and I did like. Now, there were things that we didn't like, I realize, and I liked it more than you. But the things that we did like about the first gen that I was genuinely worried they were going to walk away from, they've walked away from none of that and seem to have improvement. I, in case you can't tell, I'm quite excited. I am very excited, too. I'm saying it again. If power is any indication this could change everything for me. They can't bring it soon enough. That's the problem with reveals. Here it yeah, is. And right, then six right. to eight to nine months, a year out. And finally we see it. Finally we get one. Yeah, you're right. That's the only really hard part about this car. Everything else I say, yeah, bring it, bring it all. We do have a great guest. As an automotive expert, Sam Smith is not just a columnist, a feature writer, and an on-camera host, and a vehicle tester. He's worked all over the place, just like Jason. Well, he is a storyteller, and he's a bit of a philosopher, too, and a family man. We welcome Sam Smith, who is the editor-at-large at at Haggerty. We're calling him right now. Sam Smith. Sam, it's Paul. Surprise, I'm a minute early. I, I figured, what the heck? <laughs> no, no worries. Todd's Thanks, on Paul. as well. Thanks for calling. You yeah, got both Sam, of awesome. How are you, man? It's good to hear you. Thanks for being on with us. It's very cool. Uh, no, I'm honored. Uh, nice good. to meet you both. We had Jason Camisa on here a couple weeks ago. He did surprisingly well. We actually got comments about how clean Jason was. So it was, it was actually very <laughs> you were like, that wasn't Jason? Are you sure? Yeah, I've I've known Jason for we started at, at Automobile Magazine in 2006 within like a month and a half of each other, and I he I still remember sitting and I was sitting in my office when Gene Jennings walked him around introducing him to the staff, and he okay. was wearing a suit, and he walks in and he just immediately goes believe it, believe it, believe it, believe and then then he left and he walked him around the rest of the office, and I went what what I looked at the guy I showed an office and I was like what 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 just happened who that's, who is he that's awesome well that? heck I'll, I'll I'll dive right in off of that because I brought it up to Jason. I made the comment where I said, I've been following both you guys forever, and the first thing I remember reading from both of you guys was the piece where you talked about the uh, the E30 M3, and he talked about the 190 Mercedes, and you had a fight about it. That's the first thing I ever remember reading of both of you guys, long before I was doing this, and so that, that that's hysterical to me. Yeah, he's he's a great friend. If, if you've managed to, to capture him on tape for... Oh, I don't know. More than about ninety seconds without a four-letter word. You—that—that's an accomplishment. That's 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 serious media. The production. internet didn't I'm know impressed. what to do. Yeah, he, he, he did. He did, very <laughs> he did well. in fact do that, yeah. and they went, "What?" Yeah. 
It was good stuff. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And and as you can tell, we are incredibly formal, and this will be hard hitting. But the big the big key is we just we want to talk cars. We want to talk car love, and we're glad to have you with us. Oh, great! Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. You you've written kind of where I'll give me a frame of reference because I know I've found you writing other places about non car things. But where all have you written for? Oh man, yeah, that's a that's a long list. So I've been doing this on and off informally for what year is it? It's twenty twenty one. Oh man, God, I'm old. I've been doing this for <laughs> roughly twenty years, uh, full time for about fifteen or well, sixteen, I guess, at this point. Um, but the long list is the long list is more time than we have. But okay. the big names are, let me think: uh, Automobile Magazine, Road and Track, Car and Driver. Esquire, Car Magazine in the UK, uh, Popular Mechanics, The New York Times, Triple Zero, Excellence, Bimmer, Roundel, Panorama. Um, I'm, of course, I'm with Haggerty right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on. I mean, a lot. Yeah, and <laughs> so I don't just say all of them. <laughs> you can, the, the, we're getting to a place where the list is shorter if you list things people have heard of that you haven't exactly. written for. But about half of those I think I've read you on. So, so that leads me oh. to my other thought, which is, what do you like writing about that's not car? We'll do plenty of cars, but what do you like writing about that's not cars? Oh man, I literally, literally everything. You know, one of the one of the downsides and upsides, the, the downsides and upsides of being uh, a writer for a living is that you get to indulge your curiosity, right? Which means that if you're fortunate or unfortunate enough to be curious about literally everything, that means that you end up trying to write about literally everything, learning about literally everything. So, mm-hmm. I love writing about aircraft i love writing about history i love writing about people's stories when they fail or when they succeed i love cameras film photography and film uh, you know literally anything you can think of i've probably got way too many books sitting on the shelf at my office i'm i am <laughs> not quite an insufferable nerd but god i'm, I, I'm my wife just calls me annoying i i, I too no. many things. This it's is, a long list. This is part of a wife's duty is to just have that eye roll waiting in check and just be like, uh-huh, you're doing that again. That's yeah. part of the role. Yep. Right? How, how long have you been married? Uh, ooh, woof, uh, 2009. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm an English major. I can't do math. But whatever, 2021 minus uh, We can't either. But but you're you're a dad as well, right? Yeah. I have two little girls. That's awesome. How old are they? Five and seven, which means they are just about on a mental level with me. Perfect. That works out well. But my son is is now eleven, and I'm frightened that at any moment he's going to surpass me. So uh, yeah, that, I, I feel you on that for sure. Yeah, it's it's a great moment when you realize that they know more than you, and they think more than you, and then you know, basically get to the point where words fall out of their mouth, and you realize that you're just totally screwed. Yes, four, yes. Four or five years from now, they're going to be running literally. But yeah, yeah, it's great. Fantastic. Very cool. This burning question has to do with wrangling of cars. And as mm. the person of the two of us that is always tasked with getting the cars, whether they be privately owned or from automotive manufacturers, that kind of thing, I'm always curious when you're setting out to produce your buyer's guides for Haggerty, how do you decide on which car to pick? of all the random kinds of cars from mm. classics to new to all those kinds of things. And then is it in, in any way based upon, Oh, you've got something expensive that I'd like to drive. I'm going to do a air quotes <laughs> buyer's guide video. I'm going to do you a favor. Can I drive your oh, car? Man, I, yeah, I wish it were that simple. I mean, the, the, I wish it were more interesting, frankly, the Haggerty stuff is, it's interesting largely because one of the perks of being being attached to an insurance company is that we know very, very, 
very well what people are interested in, what gets insured, what people inquire about, you know, pull down to, you know, what what people do research on and where it comes from. And with the buyer's guides, a lot of that stuff is rooted in what, you know, there are, there are specific touch points that everybody knows, right? Your 1965 Mustangs, your, you know, Citroen 2CVs, your Lincoln Continentals, things like that. And it, it, it it's a, an effort to try and blend stuff that's relatively common with stuff that's relatively obscure. Um, you know, a large part of Haggerty's audience, I think something like 60 or 70% of our customers of the, of the insurance company's customers have a mid sixties to early seventies Mustang or Camaro. And I think I've gotten that wrong, but, but that's wow. that, like that, that dictates some of it. Um, sure. A lot of it is also, you know, what ends up on the YouTube channel, which is a deeply unsexy answer, but you know, it's crossed with, you know, the, it's crossed with the obvious answer, which is what's cool. What do we want to talk about? Mm-hmm. What has a great story and what is, you know, cause those buyer's guys videos are, they're assembling them as interesting because they're not actually buyer's guides. They get tagged as, mm-hmm. you know, this is what you want to look for, but really it's what, what the things are like to what those cars and machines are like to live with, yeah. what you might think about. When you yeah. own them. Cause the, the great, the great and weird thing about the automobile is that like, you know, people tend to buy cars and motorcycles, at least second cars, and third cars, or you know, anything special you might take to go get ice cream on a Sunday. That stuff tends to get bought for the life you think you want not the life you actually have or because it means something to you or you have this personal story for it. You know, so-and-so saw so-and-so in that when he was six and that sparked mm-hmm. off a lifelong lust for it. You know, you got to the point where you finally made a little bit of money and you can afford it. So, so much of this stuff is there's an emotional tie on it. And totally. with us, a lot of it is keying in on, on that emotion, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. You're That's just great. playing on people's heartstrings is what I'm hearing. There's no <laughs> bias on your part. Well, I've never driven a name an expensive, crazy car. I've never driven that. I'm going to go, yeah, people need, the people need to know. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, Paul's running yeah. joke to your point, Sam, is always the fact that every CUV on the planet is sold by campfires, beanies, and canoes. And Don't forget none- guitars. Yes, thank guitars. you. And none of them are used for that. But they're all sold <laughs> on the fact that I'm going to buy a beanie and a kayak, and I'm going to get a dog, and we're going to sit by a campfire. And Those the next day, they're just commuting. <laughs> Those marketing people I mean, are look, pretty proud look, of man, themselves. I- <laughs> I have a quiet dream where I move to Vermont. I wear a lot of plaid and I drive a Subaru Forester. Am I ever going to act on that dream? No. But do I drive by the Subaru dealer and think, what if I did? Yeah, right? Subaru I mean, is counting that's also, on it. They have, that's the mural on the back wall. Is just It's actually just you doing that, Sam. You just haven't seen it. I, mean, that's, I just realized that's the lamest possible version of that dream. Who is a dream where they sit around a fire with plaid and, and a dog and do nothing? Well, but, Most people are like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna move to an island near Fiji. I'm going to live on the moon. I'm going to become a spaceman. No. And they'll drive I just, a I just wanna doing do- those things, too. Right. Guarantee you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there's, there's a new the Subaru, Subaru ad, on the moon. ad campaign coming. But you know what's going to happen? It was like that old Michelin ad where they had the astronauts bouncing around the moon and it actually yeah. said, do not attempt. And I thought, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the moon? Do not, you have to give me a do not attempt right now? Oh anyway, that's a whole separate thing. Uh, but I'm actually curious, building on Paul's point, though, how are you finding the cars for the buyer's guide? Is that Haggerty Connections, or do you have to actually go to, to a because because we have this struggle Bing bong. when you want to find knock, knock, exactly knock. when you want to find Hi. something weird. We've done fifty years of nine eleven, which is all the nine elevens. We've done all the BMW M threes. We've done all the Corvettes, and so literally it it has for us some level to Paul's joke of kind of ring the doorbell and be like, "You have a nice Corvette. Can I drive it, please?" And the guy always says, "My wife's never driving exactly. driven it. I'm not sure she, she can sit in it." So how does that go for you? Yeah. You're putty in my well, hands. I mean, it's nice car. I mean, it's, it, 
it's it's funny, right? Because so much of it, it's like anything else. It all comes down to stories and relationships and the people, right? The big secret of making car media or car magazines or YouTube videos or any of it, right? It's never about the machine. It's always about the story behind the machine. Mm. And the story is always, always focused on people. And ultimately, you know, I mean, it's it's a little different with the buyer's get stuff. It's a little different than it is at or was for me at, you know, any of those other car magazines on that long and stupid list. You know, uh, several years ago, I was somehow, I still can't believe these words leave my mouth. I was somehow lucky enough to do a track test in one of Fernando Alonso's Formula One McLarens, right? Oh, and I got, yeah. over the course of, of about six hours, I got about six laps at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course there. Mm -hmm. And it comes up a lot in conversation when people ask me what I do and how it works, because it's a very good thing to throw out. And then <laughs> yeah. you have to explain Nicely that you are there, not <laughs> right. You are not the jerk that that as well. I mean, hmm, ha, hmm, ha, hmm, Alonzo, right? You're not that guy. But at the same time, like that's a, it's a very good example of how you know you can work for a very, very long time to make something happen. And in the end you know, it can seem a little anticlimactic because that, like, that story in particular was the result of two or three years of talking to the guy who owned the car, mm. getting to know him, mm. getting, you know, uh, discussing what we do and how we do it. I had driven a couple of these things before. And a lot of it comes down to just trust and finding the right insurance and making sure that everything goes, everything goes in the right places in terms of emotion and feelings, right? Mm. Most people who own neat things love them right nobody buys a an old 911 because i don't know they really have a thing for fords but i guess this this weird looking you know weird looking beetle buggy down the street some dude didn't want any money for it nah guys it's, it's here who cares right yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah. who buy neat things and most people who own stuff that they're passionate about are passionate about it for a reason and ultimately that, that usually comes down to, to loving the story and the reason behind it and wanting to share it. And if you approach it from that angle mm -hmm. and, and, and work, work with them to figure out the way to best tell that story. You know, the, the crazy thing about the F1 car was that, you know, that, that car costs tens of thousands of dollars per lap, basically. It's mm. um, mm. a different way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> track day seems you know, really cheap in your exactly. Miata now, doesn't it? Yeah, everybody's going, right, I'm going to go right. to a track day now. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a machine where you know they they brought in one of the guys who um, because every every time you run a modern F one car this is at this point you know this was three or four years ago and that mm -hmm. car even then was more than a decade old but anytime you run a modern F one car you need a handful of people it's like the space shuttle you know yeah. you, it's not just one guy who sits there puts a key and it goes yeah there's an engine man there's a gearbox man there's three guys watching the cooling system the oiling. Oiling system is preheated through an external cart that has to be started three hours before and starts pumping warm oil through it. You know, there's a startup procedure, there's a crank procedure. I have you know, if you carts. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. It's just everybody's garage. Yeah. So, so the point is, all this stuff. Like, there was there were a handful of people there. I got to talking to the the, the engine man, who was a former uh, Mercedes Benz engine technician. He came from AMG, and you know, he you want to talk about name dropping. The first thing he, out of his mouth is, oh, well, I looked after uh, Lewis Hamilton for a couple of years, and then I did this and that, the other, and won the championship, and blah, blah, blah. But he was saying... <laughs> just throw that, that out real quick while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to make a very long story short, he was saying that, you know, the motor, the motor has, they measure its life in kilometers, and if you rev it to you know, 18,000 RPM or whatever, it has, you know, X life. And if you rev it to 17,000 RPM, it's 1.5 X, right? Mm. But he was saying that 
like, you know, the, the cost to rebuild the thing in terms of man hours, in terms of parts they have to make, you know, somewhere on the order of a nicely sized middle class house in the Midwest. And so you look oh at that, you're, you're, you're not talking about just, hey, man, can I run your Corvette down the street for a video real quick? Yeah. It's there's an immense amount of trust and, and an immense amount of relationship there. And, and so what you have to do is so much of it comes down to getting to know the people involved and figuring out how, how to share it and how to share the story and, and what the takeaway is, right? With that particular car, it was, you know, looking into the, the, looking into the spaceship elements of these things and the fact that the guys who drive them really are athletes, right? You know, Fernando Alonso, there's video of him on YouTube cracking a walnut with his neck muscles. He just puts it on the, in the crook of his neck, just above his shoulder, mm-hmm. tilts his neck over, and boom, the walnut cracks. You know, that's because <laughs> they, spend, they spend most of their time developing those muscles simply to be able to keep their heads up yep. because the cars generate 4G in a corner and close to 6G under braking, right? You know, so much of, of the story with that particular car was figuring out how to talk about the people who run them and why, how it's not just mm. going around and driving in circles and the thing that, you know, has, has a zillion dive planes and Phillips and barge boards and stuff hanging off of it. So, so ultimately, it, it, to, answer, to make a very long story short, it always comes down to why we want to drive this car in the first place and then finding somebody, what story do we want to tell? Yeah. And then finding somebody who's sympathetic to it. And with yeah. the... With the buyer's guide stuff, it's it's the same thing. You know, Haggerty is lucky enough to have we have a, a pretty good database, you know, both literal and figurative, of mm-hmm. people around the country who own things and want to see those stories told. And that's that's it just starts with conversations. That's well, see, very cool. Now I'm thinking you can just say, Well, I've driven Fernando Alonso's F one car. <laughs> yeah. Yours should be no problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> oh, are those the keys I, I, right there? I can handle it. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. I mean, it, it, and that's the other thing, right? I mean, it, whether it's you have to remember that whether it is a, you know, a four thousand dollar late model Camaro that's got a dent on every panel, or an F one car, whatever that vehicle is, it's still really important to the person who owns it. I mean, Absolutely. I for sure, yeah. I I have an old two thousand BMW two thousand two that I paid eighteen hundred dollars for, and if somebody stole it from me and pushed it off a cliff you know, there'd be a fight. Like I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd grab a kitchen knife and walk out the door. Yeah. And it's an $1,800 car. Sure. I mean, it yeah, totally. It's the, the emotional, it comes down to everything we talk. We always talk about with this stuff, which is that the emotions drive everything. Right. That's I just really noticed cool. on that BMW, you were clear coating over dirt, apparently trying to restore a panel or something. Is that right? Restoration is a funny term. Anytime, anytime you aim a, aim a can of clear Krylon at a pile of dirt, you, you know, it's uh, defending it is a funny thing. Now that that particular car, I won't bore you with a long and, and, and disastrous tale that is how I got talked into buying the world's rustiest old crap can. But that particular car um, was in a flood in Baltimore, lost all of its floors, the subframe was falling out, and a friend of mine convinced me to buy it. And I had maybe been about halfway into a bottle of wine that evening and said yes, and then totally regretted the next day. And then went to look at it and realized that the subframe wasn't attached to the car. And then we dragged it home. And then there was some conversation about whether or not it should be parted out. And then I decided that it didn't deserve to die. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. Blah, blah, blah. blah. And all of a sudden, Excellent. we were welding we were welding steel tubes into it just to, to gimp it back into life. But, and here so we the, are. Yeah, it's one of those wife <laughs> eye roll moments. I can hear it from here, Sam. Absolutely. She's like, oh, good. Yeah, that's happening. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. The deeper eye roll came when I told her what I had spent on it, which naturally was several months ago, and is not to the total number I've spent on it since. But well, that's a whole to, to answer thing. your question, yeah, yeah. To answer position, your question, the you like you lost time. a bet or something? Is that how that went down? <laughs> no, see, me and the guys, okay, well, it just happened, and sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, the, the the clear coating the dirt thing. The so you know BMWs of that era have a little metal badge in the same font they've used forever, right? right. That's right on right next to the tail light that says model number on it. In this case, it said two thousand two TII, a Touring International Injection. It's the factory high performance cool. model. Yeah, and, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So I popped it off to that somebody had painted it black, and I popped it off a couple of weeks ago to. The scotch bright and kind of stripped the paint off it because I wanted it, uh, I wanted it bright again. And when I popped it off, the car had had such a nasty life. I mean, the, the the guy I bought it from lives in a part of Baltimore that, from what I understand, has flooded a couple of times, and it lived such a nasty life that there was about three or four millimeters worth of grime built up under the badge in the shape of the badge. Perfect. And the car is so awful that it seemed to make more sense to keep the dirt. In the shape of the badge, I love as it. the badge itself. I actually so, like that a lot. This yeah. is called preservation. Perfect. Exactly yeah. right. It's history. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's going to be a special Pebble Beach class for that at some point. It's just going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I like Surely it. there will be. Well, uh, <laughs> we've got more questions for you uh, along the lines of favorite and least th- favorite thing about being an automotive journalist. And, and you don't have to name names, but I'm and very curious. This to is know. not yeah. designed to turn into a rant fest. It's more designed to note, you know, with any job, with any profession. There's good and bad. The internet and YouTube in particular paint a picture, a certain picture. Yes, they do. If you will. <laughs> what, well, least favorite thing. I'm not going to name names, but it rhymes with Tayson Majisa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tayson <laughs> Jamisa. What's his find name? Him. I, don't I, don't, I don't remember uh, who that you, is. You've never, you've never heard of him. God, what an awful human. No, favorite thing about it, I think, comes back to the stories. You know, I, the stories behind why people do what they do. I am a complete and total sucker for the things that motivate us in our years and our miles and our choices. And the idea that people are never so interesting as when they fail, right? Mm. You know, anybody can make interesting, smart choices and say interesting, smart things when things are going well, but so much of human history of the automobile of of the things we make that, you know, the old line is the things we make end up making us, right? Mm-hmm. But so much of, of the automobile itself is a history of failure, of trying to go one direction, you know, completely face planting in the mud and then realizing that we need to go somewhere else. And the people throughout history and the people even now, you know, the guys, the guys, men and women building, building new cars, building part of the industry, everybody from Elon Musk on down to, you know, the dude who sits at Fiat Chrysler, excuse me, Stellantis. There you go. At, uh, there it is. Who's, who sits, sits at, you know, sits in the Mopar parts division and designs an aftermarket roof rack for something they built 10 years ago. Everybody's making choices. And mm-hmm. all of those choices are reflective of who those people are. And I, I love pulling apart the reasons why we do things. And every single car, past, present, future is a result of thinking about what the best answer might be. And so, so often in human history, we get that wrong. Mm. And I love learning about that stuff. You know, the secondary aspect is, God, I love driving. I love going places. <laughs> I love yes. learning things. I love the feeling that you get when a 
any car, fast, slow, stupid, ugly, is up on plane and skimming along on its tires. And in that, that weird, magical, happy place that mm. if you're a car person, you know, yeah. you get it. Yeah, totally. And if you're not a car person, you explain it to somebody and they look at you like you have uh, a blender growing out of your forehead. Totally. Like, Third like you have a, right a third eye, third eye or a yeah. fourth ear. Or yeah, yeah, you know? for sure. It's, That's but I, those two things. It's the cross of those things. And I, you know, I'm, I am deeply fortunate to be able to do anything, anything that intersects those two for a living. I, 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 I every job is its off days, but I get, I'm lucky enough to get more days than not where I wake up and look around and wait for you know the the talent police to show up at my door and drag me away because well, <laughs> sir, we. We need to put the real guys in place to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, neither Paul nor I started as automotive journalists, and we both wound up here, and we, we look at ourselves often and just go, how on earth did we wind up <laughs> yeah. this blessed? Because it's yeah. really, really cool. I mean, I started in the yeah. film industry and still love film, and I've been a story guy forever. But I can't believe that this car thing that I kind of walked away from in high school is, yeah, cars are cool, is the thing that actually ended up being the job and, and the thing I thought was cool, which is amazing. I totally relate to that. I have to kid Todd just a little bit because we were just joking before we called you Sam and that was about Formula One the new season you know the drive to survive oh, yeah, is coming yeah. back and, yeah, yeah. you know Todd saying I, I love the story I'm like man I, I get it you know the races are the races but Todd really likes the story he's a, an editor director screenwriter storyteller and then we're talking about sports he's like I just want to watch the movie about sports. Totally. Yes. <laughs> Replacements or Rudy or any of those. Yes. I, I, I don't I always, want to watch the game. I always enjoy I, I enjoy sports movies, but I don't want to watch baseball or football or anything like this live. But the movie about all the people that made up that moment that happened, which is why I like the Formula One series on Netflix for the same reason, because I'm like, okay, I know kind of what happened on the races. I want to watch all the crazy drama. Right. I'm interested in that and the stories and the interactions of the people. And so, yeah, I, I tangentially know about sports. At best, I'm, yeah. I'm giving you trouble, but I, I, I take that. And Sam, question to you, and that is: our audience is always searching, and quite frankly, a, a touch worried about the future of that feeling you've described, and will that continue to proliferate? And of course, the auction sites have completely trashed any sense of normality and, and what cars should actually cost. Yes, but oh, you know, what is that going to be for the future? You know, we're always searching that in future models, and will. The skateboard electric cars have this feeling, or is it just going to be a different body on a stupid electric skateboard kind of thing? What's your take? Where do you see things? And I know that we all love classics, of course, of any sort. Will that just continue to grow in your eyes and continue to proliferate that way? I don't know. I, I tend to be, with, with so many things, I tend to be an eternal optimist, which you know is, is difficult, right? None of us are wired that way. We're all wired to wake up and then go find the nearest tribe and tell them what mistake you made or what lion ate half of your family <laughs> over the next hill. And don't go in that cave. You know, there's right. snakes there, right? We're so wired to focus on the things that don't go well so we can avoid them in the future. But it's sometimes hard to, to think about what what good might lie around the next corner, especially when the things that we love are in the process of either being taken away or changing, right? But so much of, you know, change is eternal. Uh, there's an old quote I love um, from an old racing driver and famous journalist. She founded Auto Week. Um, she used to cover Olympic skiing. She wrote for newspapers uh, named Denise McCluggage. And I, I was yeah. fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time with her before she died. But this is a woman who she dated Steve McQueen. She, uh, I didn't know that. She, 
Yeah, she 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 met Steve McQueen when they were both broke as a joke, living in the Castro, which was then called was it Hayes Valley, living in the Castro in San Francisco. Wow! And both had MGTCs. But point is, she she had an old line that was something like, "Change is eternal, hanging on is the only sin." Right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea that like it's the only thing that's wrong with focusing on change is if you think constantly about what you're leaving behind and with with evs with what's changing in the car business you know the in our lifetimes and probably in my children's lifetimes the ability to so much of what we love about the automobiles the ability to compass our own our own for lack of a better word destiny right i want to wake up tomorrow morning and drive to arizona or alaska or Mm -hmm. you know baja or the the middle of nowhere south america you can do that and, and this idea that nobody can tell you where to go, that nobody can say, don't make a left there, make a right, that somebody can decide exactly when and where you're going to be, can't decide exactly when and where you're going to be. You have complete control over that. Mm. And that's, that's part of what makes the automobile so appealing is that it takes the freedoms we all know we have and brings them right into your lap. And that stuff isn't going to go away. You know, the, the internal combustion engine is not on its last legs, but it is probably in one of the last stages of its life. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the, everybody knows the, the news about, about it, it, it's, it's almost hard to say the news about what's happening with, you know, so-and-so is this com- this country is going to cease allowing the internal combustion engine vehicle to be sold after mm-hmm. 2030 or 2035 or right. so on and so forth. Right. GM wants to go zero emissions by date X, right? Mm-hmm. Those things may or may not happen. They're very, very likely to happen. I say may or may not because who the hell knows, right? <laughs> yeah, but, right. But ultimately, you know, at the core, that idea that you will be able to get into a vehicle and still have the freedom to go somewhere and that that vehicle will do something for you emotionally by virtue of how it, how it gets you there, mm. which is a really simple statement, but also, you know, it's so packed with meaning. Um, you know, a... a there are so many lodestones and so many signs that doom is not around the corner, right? From the fact that a Tesla Model 3 is almost a better BMW 3 Series these days than BMW's 3 Series to the fact that... that that's <laughs> right. But the, the, the fact that ultimately what only, the only thing that matters is the feedback and the emotion you get. And that can come from a motor and a skateboard battery. That can come from a hydrogen fuel cell. That can come from a 19,000 RPM, you know, Formula One V8 that lives a total of, you know, 800 kilometers, or it can come from a 2,000 RPM diesel in a school bus. It comes <laughs> comes one way or the other. And imagining and believing that it only comes a certain way is the kind of stuff that paints us into corners and stops us figuring out ways to, to be better versions of ourselves. So I, I tend to believe that and, and I've met an awful, awful lot of people in the industry who feel this way, from engineers to vehicle dynamics guys to you know product planners whose job it is to decide whether or not the next Camaro gets three ashtrays instead of four, right? Oh um, <laughs> most oh people seem to believe that there is something around the corner that will be better. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's a lot of stuff from 30 years ago that is not the same now, that still exists now, but is not the same that is neither better or worse. It's just different, you know? Um, and the weird thing about being a, on bring a trailer. <laughs> right. Right. And that's, that's the interesting thing. So like bring a trailer is funny. The auction sites are funny because they, 
they shine a light on all the stuff that we know and want and, mm-hmm. and shine a light on how people are afraid. And that's, that's mm-hmm. valid, right? You know, I'm going to buy this thing because we might never get a chance again. And that, that's unfortunately the, the free market working. But yeah. man, at the end of the day, I, I think that there is a better, a better corner around the corner. We just, if you're not seeing it, you're not looking for it, you know? That's cool. I, that's good thoughts on that. I appreciate Fantastic. you sharing that. I'm going to bring it back to a more personal place before we wrap it up, and that is, what do you have in your current garage? Is there anything <laughs> that got away that you wish you still had, and is there anything you're seeking out? So we just moved. We lived on the West Coast for several years. We just moved back east, and part of that, one of the stipulations that came out of um, long conversations with my wife was not that she, she said this, but she was like, you know, we really should do this. <laughs> and this, in that case, happened to be not own, you know, 11 million cars and uh-huh. 300, 300 crappy pieces of steel. Perfect. Um, yes. But I, I pared down a lot. Um, when we left, I think I had uh, six or seven old nasty things, and I'm now down to a handful. Uh, my wife drives a Mark 7 GTI. Okay. I have an old 200,000-mile BMW X3 manual 2.5 slick top, one of the rare ones. Interesting. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. You're, you're probably the only person on the planet who thinks that's interesting. But I'm just, it, it, um, I wouldn't have expected it. But Sam owns that. I would have <laughs> never gone there. That's why I didn't Keep going. Well, but so that's, that's, a, per- that's a perfect example. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Initially, I wanted something old, manual transmission, modern enough to have working climate, and be like 200, 300,000 mile reliable in a wagon. Mm-hmm. Turns out that literally anything in that form factor is now $11 billion thanks to <laughs> uh, the auction sites, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I started looking and I have a, a, a long fondness for old BMWs. Um, the current 20, you know, 20 years back from now gets you into the E46 chassis 3 series, which mm-hmm. was built you know, for a handful of years in the early 2000s. Yeah, yes. um, turns out that they also sold those those wagons. They make a wagon version of that. That's kind of expensive now. Yeah, for They're, sure. <laughs> or, or, or usually beat down and have a billion miles on them. Mm-hmm. But that same component set was used in that in the X3 in that period. They're a little small SUV. I'm not an SUV guy, but uh, it popped up. It was one of those things. It was in Chicago, popped up on Craigslist. A buddy of mine was like, we should go look at this. I'm like, I don't want an SUV. <laughs> we went and looked at it, and it turns out, like, drives okay. And it's a 200,000-mile, you know, $3,000 car you can pretty much do anything with. That's so perfect. I have um, a couple other things. I've got a, a 1965 BMW 1800Ti shell that's in storage in Chicago. I've wow. got a couple of motorcycles and the aforementioned BMW 2002 that is currently dropping oxide all over my shop. And but it's dirt badge, which is one of my favorite things about it. You, you, can, put, you can put the badge on or not. We know what it is. Either yeah. way, it's there. I love that. Yeah. That, that shell um, of yours is just art. Call that art. You can hang it on a wall. <laughs> done. Right? Yeah. Art is art is what you make of it sometimes. Even Absolutely. if you're what's what's an old line? Even if your five year old could do it in thirty seconds, maybe Sotheby's will sell it. There you go. Um, Honey, I bought the, a piece of art for the <laughs> something. Yeah, I'm a collector. I'm fancy. Uh, you asked about you asked what was the other question? Oh, um, stuff that's gone. Oh man, ooh. <laughs> Number of you know the you know the old line about you never buy too buy too expensive. You just buy too soon or sell too early or whatever it is. I've sure. never been that smart. I've never been that guy. Um, the the one that got away was I, I take that back. There are there is a we could talk for hours about sure. the stuff that got away. One in particular, um, I'm a longtime sucker for the first-generation BMW M3. Had three of those, mm-hmm. drove them every day, track days, autocrosses, that sort of thing. I was you that had nerd. three of them? 
See, but that's this. Oh. I'm not trying to rub it in. Now I'm, I'm really not trying sad. to cause you pain. I'm really not. I'm just three. What? That's awesome. Well, I love it. this was back when they were. This was back when they were ten thousand dollar cars. And sure. I bought one and sure. owned it for a couple of years, and then sold it and bought another. Yeah. And then toward right before they got expensive, I wanted to try other things, as you do. <laughs> as and and sold sold the last one, which is a particularly nice white on black. Uh, I think it was an '89. Never been, never been wrecked. Had uh, a light respray on one panel, but was mostly original paint. Just a really sweet driving car, and a, a sweet driving example of a really, really nicely done model to begin with. Right? Um, you know, that's one of the that, that's the first generation M3 is a benchmark for a reason. You know, it has excellent steering. The chassis is supple and forgiving, and yeah. the motor is the, the motor is sweet and high revving, and all these neat things. The, the story behind it, you know, the fact that they was the winningest DTM car of all time, one of the winningest touring cars in history, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sold that, and then right after I sold it, the market went absolutely insane to the point where the car <laughs> that I paid 15 grand for is now, oh, man, the guy who, the, the, the owner, who, the man who bought it from the man who bought it from me, Uh-oh. I had to get it right, Okay. called me a couple of years ago and asked me if I wanted to, to buy it, and I went, Oh, um, dude, yes, totally. I'm a sucker. Uh, let's let's what are you speak. It for? tell me your things. And and it was uh, somewhere in the order of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars or one hundred ten thousand no. dollars. And I thought, I thought that's got to be insane. Yeah, All the couple friends. They were like, um, I mean, it might be a little high, but it's not that high. Yeah. And then you start looking at the market, which naturally, like, if you're not paying attention to the market, it just you know toodles along in the background just because you're not looking at it doesn't mean you're in there it doesn't stop yeah and and it turns out that uh i had to, that ship had sailed and I, I realized i was probably never gonna never gonna own one of those things again but let's see what else oh man other stuff that got away i owned a particularly rad 1965 mustang fastback at one point that i'd mm. love to have back i had a lotus Elan at one point that i'd love Ooh, to have back that sounds fun no uh, kidding those are low I'm, yeah, very fragile. Imagine owning owning the 1960s Lotus is like trying to live in a house made of wet Kleenex. Like awesome. you can get there, but eventually you're going to end up really nasty, messy, covered in garbage and wondering why you walked in in the first place. And there are moments where you're like, I did it. I live in the house made of garbage. And because it's so <laughs> like, then, yeah, yeah. Peter Egan once described the Lotus Elan as, as uh, like owning a small airplane, right? If you make it your only hobby, if you take after it every single day, if you think about it when you go to bed, like it's rewarding. And I am not that guy. Yeah, and fair. there were moments where it was sublime and other moments where it drew blood and tried to kill me and caught fire and other things. But long story short. So. Wow. What do you have your eye on? Is there something you're, you're kind of hunting right now? I mean, what do you got? <laughs> I don't know. I just, didn't, I just didn't know. <laughs> Nicely done. Because I feel like we're all circling something that we bet we probably shouldn't buy, but we're always like, I'm looking at these right now. I just oh, didn't know what man. was on your list. I've, oh man, all kinds of stuff. I'd love to have, oh man, I mean, the, it, you really don't want me to answer this question. I, I can't shut up. And this okay. is the question that keeps you from shutting up. Let's say out of the, so I've, I've owned something like, I added it up a while back, and it's something like 50 or 54 cars okay. since I got my driver's license. And um, I have my eye constantly on half of them, half of the stuff that I sold and regret and would have back. Sure. But uh, beyond that, man, I mean, any there's so much stuff out of the rad era, out of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Old pickups are going crazy, and that makes everybody think, well, what if I, what if I had an early 90s 
Silverado for no reason. Um, I'm a sucker, <laughs> complete sucker for old Lotuses. I'd love, mm. I'd always planned on getting into an air cold 911. I think, you know, I've driven a billion of them. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to test a billion of them, and they're all great in, in one way or another. Love to have another one of those, but that's, again, that ship's probably sailed. Yeah, that market's um, still crazy. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed that. I mean, it's, Lord, the list is endless. Like, motorcycles, airplanes, mm-hmm. vacuum tube amps, uh, I don't know, go. Japanese right. samurai swords. I Perfect. mean, what do you want to talk about? We got lists. I like it. You'll have to come back. You'll have to come back. It's it's so great to have you on, man, and just talk about all this stuff. It's wonderful. Next time, it'll be old fountain pens yes. from a different era. Yeah, it's going to be fountain um, pens and samurai swords today on Everyday Driver. Exactly. It's going to be it's gonna be very different, but quite fun, yes. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome back anytime. Absolutely. We always this is overdue. I've, I've wanted to have you on forever, so I'm thrilled to have you on now and yeah. get to know you a little bit and share with the audience. It's really, really fun. No, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. It was a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you. Very cool. Well, thank you, awesome. sir, and uh, and we will we will talk to you soon again. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, Thanks Sam. Sam. Cheers. Right. Bye. As I said, I've been following Sam and Jason since their career started. I love that they are friends. Mm-hmm. I love that they give each other crap. Yes. And I love that they couldn't be more different. These are two of my, genuinely, I'm not saying this for any reason other than I have felt it for a long time, and I'm glad they were finally on the podcast. These are two of my favorite guys working in automotive journalism, and I love that they are complete polar opposites and then also friends. Agreed. I, I love that both of them came on. Thanks to you both. And Sam, you're welcome back anytime, just Absolutely. as Jason is. It was just a lot of fun to get to know you a little bit more and you know get to know you beyond what you just offer in your writings and kind of proliferate the disease. So we welcome you back anytime. Thank you, Sam. Cars are made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without driving the cars we love. The folks at Haggerty feel the same way, and that's why they support our show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for enthusiast vehicles, including classic cars, trucks, and motorcycles, newer collectibles, and boats. They also protect race cars when they're not on track, and they can protect your car when it is on track with HPDE insurance. In fact, we actually use Haggerty Track Day insurance every time we drive our own cars, the Cayman and the Elise, on our local track. It's a huge peace of mind. Learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everydaydriver. A quick car debate I thought was pretty fun. Did you see Katie's car debate here? The title yes. makes me laugh. The yes, title I is um, New Car for Wife. I am wife. (laughs) I'm the wife. (laughs) Katie writes in with this question. She says, dear guys, who my husband listens to in the car all the time, so I've heard a bunch, but I don't know much about. (laughs) Those guys again. (laughs) That's happened. By the way, hi, Katie. You're listening now. You're actually listening now. That's what makes me laugh. For sure. Katie will be needing a new car soon. Her 2008 Honda Fit is just about at 250,000 miles. Well done. Mm. And she is my everything, Katie says, but she's getting tired. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She would just buy another one, but her car enthusiast husband thinks that's lame. The reason Katie loves the fit is because she likes she likens it to driving a golf cart. Okay. And it's surprisingly spacious. Yeah. I still think it's like a boat. Boat designers got a hold of the fit and discovered every nook and cranny to put a drawer or a cubby or a mm-hmm. space to tuck something. It is. I've said it before. It's I think every really manufacturer that is building anything to haul people and stuff. I realize sports cars not necessarily that, but people and stuff should pull a fit into the studio and go, how did they do this? <laughs> yeah. Because it is phenomenal Fuel for space. The carpet yeah. back. Well, Katie's past cars have included a Subaru Forester and a 1990 Subaru Loyal. That one was her fave. But knowing that she needs to be able to fit his and hers hockey gear in the back, 
Okay. She'd like a back seat, and she takes long road trips frequently. What other vehicles would we recommend that she should consider? It must be automatic. She doesn't say exactly where she lives, but she lives in the South, Mm -hmm. so winter driving is not a concern. Her budget is approximately ten thousand dollars, ideally under that, of course. But yeah. you know, you're writing to us, so that's not going to happen under. But well, actually, maybe, that. maybe, yeah. And she says this glorious sentence down here: "If you want to tell my husband to suck it, and I should just get another fit, that's cool with me." <laughs> so now Katie and her husband are listening, and they're taking bets. Hopefully, it's not a drinking game. They're taking bets about how this is going to go. I, first off, Katie, I have to say this: fits are very cool. They really are, indeed, and they are kind of unsung heroes decently as far as decent to drive you get them with a six-speed manual which i realize you have the automatic they can be pretty cool they can be autocross cars we've seen them on track people have done race cars everything you can imagine with with a honda have you seen chance post photos when he's been out at umc and there's honda fit race teams with two wheels in the air going over the attitudes yes it's very he'll take photos and we're going a fit is racing? Yeah. Well, How uh, cool is that? And a fit is two wheels off. Two wheels off? going for it, which is really, <laughs> yeah. really awesome. What's also funny, though, is when you see those photos, because the fit has such a huge greenhouse, you can see the, the web work inner workings <laughs> of the cage that they have built in there like a honeycomb, because it's all greenhouse. They have yeah. to add webbing Seriously, in it's the cr- fit. It's just crazy. It's like a honeycomb in there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. So I, I like fits a lot. They are surprisingly good to drive and very versatile, and they are, honestly, killer for space as we've said they may be the best we may not find anything else that is that small and that spacious however i do think i agree with your husband you should move on let's get something different there are options Mm -hmm. i've got a few things you can consider and if you love the fit that much and you find a newer one because the new ones actually just got even better inexplicably they got even better the little bit more tech is there Mm -hmm. so if you do like that i i say get another fit but you could consider the Mini Cooper S. Yes. Now, it's not going to do the fit things quite as well, and reliability could be hit or miss. The fit, we know, is just going to run. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Mini Cooper S has lots of power. It's really fun. It's very similar. But here's my car for you, at least open-minded enough okay. to test drive one. I'm wondering if we both have the same two cars listed. Keep going. <laughs> this if if so, this will be strange because we do not share our debates, our debate choices. How about a used Chevy Bolt? I didn't go there, but that's good. That's actually very good. On Auto Tempest, the lowest price I can find is thirteen thousand dollars. Even mm-hmm. most of them are fourteen to fifteen, Katie. And so but you're going to spend no gas on your budget. Yeah, yeah, no gas. It's a lifestyle change. Yes. Can you incorporate this? You said you live in the South, so you can have one type of tire all year round. Mm-hmm. And these things will just go. Yeah. I liken them to Chevy built a rideshare car designed for at least 150,000 miles. Yeah. And they're fun. So fun, as a matter of fact, the future bride-to-be Michelle of one of our listeners, friend yes. of the show, she bought one for thirteen five, and she's now drag racing other cars. She is challenging other cars at a stoplight yeah. with her Chevy Bolt, uh-huh. which I find hilarious and yeah. fantastic. She's talked about putting stickers on the side, like old fighter pilots in World yes. War II put the number of planes they shut down. She wants to figure out how to do like a standard muscle car sticker because she takes them all with the light. <laughs> I'd love this. Now, if whether or not you get into that, but 
Michelle has never really been a car enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And here she is. She's found her niche. Yeah. She never expected that. <laughs> you're, and now you're it's right. on. You're she so right. cruising town like, I'm bored I've, this I've, Friday I've afternoon. I'm looking for Camaros now, I'm which is really, really funny. Yeah, In her bolt. So you could consider it. It's fun in a different way. Mm-hmm. Okay. The fit, yes. The, the longevity and yeah. the spaciousness. Yeah. The, the bolt, I don't know if it's quite there on both of those, but it's going to be fun in a different way. And they're super cheap now. They are cheap. They actually do have a lot of space, much more space than they even appear. My only concern for Katie with the Bolt, because I actually think that's phenomenal, and I think you'd be surprised at how fun it is to drive. I think so. My only concern is how long are your road trips? Fair. Because it, because Fair. They she can says do, really long. They can do between, and we've heard various people in various locations, between 250 and 300 miles on a charge. Which is very yeah. impressive. You knew a guy that was running San Francisco as, as a ride share and was regularly pulling off 300 a day, a day which yeah. is really, really good. He was doing so it. Yeah. If, but if you're doing a, I need to do 600 miles regularly, it's not going to work. That's where the infrastructure True. doesn't exist yet because right. you're going to have to have a full recharge in the middle. Do you have infrastructure on the route? Can you take the time? I can't answer any of There's that. There's more planning involved. Yes, yes, yes. It's not just, you know, fill up your car and go. Unfortunately, it's, it's not. A bit yet. of a lifestyle change there. So only Katie, you can answer that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have two that I really want you to look at because I'm noticing the fact that what you like about this fit so much is the, the go-kart feel. Mm-hmm. The golf cart feel. I yeah. actually like golf cart better. That was your word, and I I, I get what you're saying because it's got <laughs> the high ride height, and it, but it, yet it's surprisingly chuckable, and you laugh in spite of the fact you're going slow. This is a golf cart, ladies and gentlemen. Right, so right. I, I do like that, but you need space. You mentioned the Mini Cooper S, and I think that is phenomenal. Look at Mini Cooper's period. Yeah, This yeah, yeah. is where they shine. They have a surprising yeah. amount. All the way go back to the 60s when they first started. The whole thing about it was, look at how much space this has and how tiny it is. And the small, I think this is the reality, Katie, the small is what's making you connect and feel like it's chuckable. Mm-hmm. The little For thing sure. is what's making it happen. For sure. So I think a Mini Cooper you should look at. They have good automatics. They're surprisingly spacious. You can drop the back seats and they get quite a bit of space. When I had a Mini Cooper, we had the back seats removed, which gave it a ton. It was like a panel van back there. It was crazy. You're not going to remove the seats. It was your I get little it. bread van. I couldn't your believe little... how much space there was without without the back seats in it. Yeah, but even with the back seats folded down, there's a lot of space. I think hockey gear is fine in that car. So look at that. Spacious, fun to drive. If the Cooper doesn't work, you could go Clubman, a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Possibility as well. But I know the Coopers are down in your budget. The other one I have to mention, because I just have to, go drive the Fiat 500 Abarth. Oh, yeah. They're down there. They are that cheap. Yeah, they are. This is going to be, I think, much more fun and have much more personality than your Honda Fit. It, you would love that car, Katie. A very you fun car to drive. Love it. I think it's going to have a little bit less space, but they have a very bulbous back hatch area. I yeah. think you'd find plenty of usable space in there. One of the things I was always surprised by when we had a 500 is how much surprising space there was if you tried to sit in the back seat. I mean, I don't want to go cross-country in one. No, Yeah, true. But true. They, they, for that size of car, they have a surprisingly big back half of the car. So I think 500 Abarth is worth driving. Mini Cooper is worth driving for sure. I like your Bolt idea. You may circle back to another fit, but let's move on. Can we? Because <laughs> fits are cool, but let's move on. Katie, whatever you get, Please keep us posted. Send photos when you do. A few quick questions. Austin Love has many, as a matter of fact. Austin is asking, how do car enthusiasts with poor credit Mm. go about buying an enthusiast car if you don't have access to a co-signer? This is tough, Austin. It's, It's tough. Ultimately, the answer is cash. Yeah, there is another option, but keep going. But working on your poor credit, that's that's uh, got to be a priority. 
to be honest. I mean, we joke all the time, but working on that credit and, and uh, just building it back up is really the key here. But if you can scrape cash together, if you can pull from, you know, other sources, as far as, you know, keep your, keep your budget really low, keep it in the five to six K range mm-hmm. and see if you can pay cash and start there. I don't know what you currently drive. I don't know what, yeah, you know, you yeah. currently have that might be worth some money that you can pile towards that. Because if you're saying enthusiast car and you're thinking 30 grand, then I, I've just got to say, work on your credit mm-hmm. to be honest. I will give you one alternative, and, and I'll be honest with you. It's not a great alternative, okay. but this is a way to do it. You go to one of those lots that advertises buy here, pay here, okay. You're, and, and typically they will take anyone with any kind of credit. Now, be careful mm. here because it doesn't mean the cars are necessarily good. Some of them are okay, but the thing about buy here, pay here is you will be approved. The problem is what's your rate? What's the interest rate? Yeah. The rate may yeah. be murderously high. Yeah. So be careful in that regard. The The biggest thing you need to do is ideally, and cars are a great one, a great one if you can do it, buy something and pay it off completely as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. That does so much for your credit. The minute that drops off your credit, that you actually did pay that loan off on time or ahead of time, huge credit bump there. But if you're talking about something as big as a car, that's hard to do all of a sudden. Or gathering up the cash may be impossible for you. I totally it get it. it might so be. you can do buy here, pay here. The, the rates are That's bad. That's a scary thing. It's, it's almost it's, it's loan a, sharkish. It's a, it's a scary thing because the rates are bad. The rates yeah. are bad because they practically expect, expect people to default. Yeah. But if you yeah. have the ability, if they have a car that is of vague interest to you and it is low enough price that you think, you know what, I can take two years. It's going to be a process, man. I, I can take a couple of years and I can pay that off. Then you can help your credit that way. Then you've got friends, family, you know, who... But you said you don't have a cosigner, so that's the big difficulty there. I get it. It's a hard place. Austin also asks, what we think about window tint or the lack thereof on most cars nowadays. Austin doesn't like driving in a fishbowl, but manufacturers continue to put out cars with little to no tint. Well, it they can't put a darker tint depending on each state's laws, Austin, because it varies from state to state. It can even vary from county to county, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. And so manufacturers don't want to deal with that kind of thing. They don't want to have to offer, like, sure, it will come from the factory uh, darker. Everybody in Arizona would love that. (laughs) Yeah. But you can't. And so they just offer glass, again, because they're trying to save money. Keep in mind that every manufacturer tries to take money out of a car so they can make more money. Yeah. Always keep that in mind. doesn't matter if it's a Chiron or a Volkswagen Golf. Or the knob on a QX80. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you. Oh, my gosh. I still can't believe that. I I love that you were – the first thing you noticed, you are like, hey – Oh my gosh! Be- because we the knob it was changed. a thing. It I'm was like, a whole thing. Yeah, it can't possibly be because of us. But anyway, yes, Austin. If you like dark windows, please check with your area because when you get pulled over, that's going to be another thing mm-hmm. the officer will ding you for, in addition yeah. to your taillights yeah. or whatever little yeah. thing they can find. So just be careful with that. Even though I hear you, dark tint is is cool. Guys, thank you for all your questions, and thank you to Sam again for joining yeah. us. And uh, we do have more guests planned for for this year, and uh, looking forward to that. But uh, keep writing your car debates, your topic Tuesdays, and your car conclusions. We're getting a lot of the car conclusions, which is great. We've got yeah, to do another very one cool. here shortly. Really appreciate it, guys. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.